Yes. <laughs> Congratulations. Congratulations to the new daddy, everybody. Congratulations. It's a big step, Freddie. I'm glad you're... Oh, wait a second. Fred Krueger? Ooh. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Halloween horror, hootenanny of horror, and all the other H words that I might use, hopefully not twice, here on 80s Revisited. That's right. We missed last year, thanks to the pandemic and other stuff. But hey... We're making up for it this year as we celebrate the 80s films that we haven't covered yet of the one, the only, Mr. Wesley Craven. I assume his first name is Wesley because he's mm -hmm. Wes Craven. I mean, what else would Wes be short for? Uh, Welster? Wendleton? No, you're right. Wes Wesley, Wesselton? Wesley Earl Craven. Yeah. I'm kind of smart, Jesse. I don't know if you do <laughs> yeah. that. But uh, anyway, everybody, I am your host for this horrifying experience into 80s horror Trey Harris, with me as always, the, the the glove to my burned, horrific body, Jesse Sedgley. Yes, I am. And we've done every single Wes Craven movie of the 80s, except the four that are following this one. So we're doing this one to basically finish the Nightmare series, because of course mm -hmm. he started, he created it. I know he did not direct this one. I know, so don't need any kind of comments. Well, he didn't direct this one, blah, blah, blah. I did a little testing on some horror groups with our our uh, social media posts, and people were like, hey, he didn't direct that. I'm like, I know. <laughs> if you read the bottom, it says that. But anyway, just saying it aloud so everybody knows. What I know social media did you creator. use? Facebook. Oh, so follow us there. Well, well no, I, I mean, I put it out everywhere. I put it out every, for everyone to see, but before I send it out I, on some yeah. horror groups that I'm a member of, Help promote oh. the show and stuff. I, I sent it on there to say, "Hey, what do you got? You know, what do you guys and ghouls think about, you know, this first movie and blah blah blah." Just getting some kind of feedback, and that was the, the, everybody was like, "He didn't direct that." I'm like, "If you read the post and don't <laughs> look at the image, you will see that I know that because I'm not an uh, idiot." I got you. It wasn't our followers responding to Correct. some randos. Cause <laughs> exactly, because our followers listen. <laughs> yeah. They're smart. They're intelligent people. Yep. Of course. But anyway, let's get into the who, what, when, where, and let's kick off this spooky season right with the horror episode, a whole horror month of 80s Revisited. I'm excited, if you can't tell. Mm -hmm. Although, honestly, I'm not excited for a couple of these movies because I don't <laughs> like them. But anyway, uh, well, more on that as the weeks unfold closer and closer to Devil's Night. But uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child, opened August 11th, 1989, the last Nightmare movie of the 80s. Freddy would come back uh, 91, somewhere early 90s for Freddy's Dead, but uh, won't be covering that on this particular podcast, but who knows what the future holds. Uh, anyway, IMDb gives it a 5.1, Rotten Tomatoes 29%, and you know what? Rotten Tomatoes was down when I was writing this earlier, so let me quickly bring it up to see if it's back to get the audience, because uh, a Google search told me everything I needed to know, at least about the critics. However, mm. Nightmare on... Indeed, I'm talking while I'm, <laughs> I'm telling you what I'm doing because it's an audio podcast. It's not a video show again. 31% audience, 29% uh, critics, excuse me. So, uh, yeah, not not too favorable either way. Uh, budget, son of a bitch, I didn't get the budget. Jesse, can you scroll down and get the budget? <laughs> All right, the budget. 
Budget. I got everything else for the go. budget. Six oh, mil. Six million estimated open for 8.1, so it made its budget back in the opening weekend, so technically was a success. Uh, would go on to domestically gross 22 million. So regardless of the quality of this film, it still, uh, what's that, quadrupled its budget? Yeah. So success. can't complain about that. Can't complain. Uh, this one was directed by Stephen Hopkins. He's done some good stuff, in my opinion. Predator 2, underrated sequel. Uh, Judgment Night with Emilio Estevez and Dennis Leary. Great, great soundtrack on that mm-hmm. film. Uh, blown Away with Tommy Lee Jones and uh, uh, Jeff Bridges. That's a pretty decent one. And the uh, 90s reboot of Lost in Space, which was a huge deal at the time. <laughs> for some reason. But anyway, I mean, I love I love the, the show because it came on like TBS and stuff. But the movie was, you know, at the time, the effects were pretty great. But, I mean, that is – if you watch it now, that is such the epitome <laughs> of a 90s movie, like in every way. Yeah. Example A, Matt LeBlanc is in it. Yep. I'll, I'll never forget this. In the theater, saw it opening night because I was excited. I mean, it looked – for the time, it looked great. And the scene where his little Iron Man helmet, like, comes down that was in the trailer, when that happened in the movie, everybody cheered in the theater except me. <laughs> like – why, why are we cheering? I mean, it's, you know, anyway. But anyway, it's, you know, at the time I liked it. Looking back, you know, it was on uh, it was on maybe Netflix or Amazon. Watched a little bit. I was like, this just doesn't hold up. <laughs> Still kind of fun, but, you know, not. It was very overrated in its day. Anyway, moving on, because we're here to talk about horror movies. Yeah. Uh, written by Leslie Boehm. Uh, I'm assuming it's a male because I didn't see a picture on IMDb. But uh, Nowhere to Run, Daylight. Dante's Peak has a thing for uh, disaster stuff based on Daylight and Dante's Peak. So uh, the cinematography this uh, for this movie was done by Peter Levy or Levy. He also did Predator 2, works a lot with the director, Stephen Hopkins. So they got a lot of similarities or, you know, dual or uh, same credits. He also was a cinematographer on Cutthroat Island and also the last really good, in my opinion, John Woo movie, Broken Arrow. I got a uh, uh, producer note for you. Just turn your head slightly sure. away from the mic just to stop those peas from oh. hitting. Oh, I forgot the puppies. I'm going to, I'm, I'm, as soon as we get off, I will get a pop screen to attach to the, to my microphone. Cause I understand. I know I, that bugs me too. So thank you. Producer Jesse Fedgley. Okay. Let me, actually, let me turn a little bit more. Just let me know if I need to do anything different. No, you're good. All right. All right. Lisa Wilcox stars as Alice. Of course, she was in the previous uh, part four. She was also Missy. In the Bill and Ted TV show, Mom, or I mean Mom, (laughs) anyway, but also, as always, I love to bring it up. She was also in an episode of Hardcastle and McCormick. You you know that reference if you've been listening like the early days. (laughs) uh, But anyway, Kelly Jo Minter is Yvonne, probably the most successful person from this cast. She was also the older sister of Point Dexter in People Under, a lot of peace, sorry, People Under the Stairs. Yeah, but they're not hitting (laughs) now. I think you're good. Oh, perfect. Okay. Uh, People Under the Stairs. She was also in The Lost Boys, Popcorn, and House Party. Wow. One, th- four, almost three Ps in there. Yeah. <laughs> so figures. Uh, so, But she's been in a lot of stuff. She's one of those character actresses uh, that you're like, oh, I know, she looks so familiar. I know, where, I know I've seen her somewhere. That's where you kind of seen her. But she's done a lot of other stuff, too, but that's just the notable ones. A lot of you know, she's a, she's horror royalty as far as I'm concerned. I mean, this one, People Under the Stairs, Lost Boys, Popcorn, four solid horror films or three solid horror films, depending on how you feel about this movie. Mm. Erica Anderson was Greta. She uh, she had a bit role in Twin Peaks and a lot of miscellaneous TV. Danny Hassel was conveniently named Dan, and he was also in Nightmare Four, 
and like Eric Anderson who played Greta, a lot of miscellaneous TV. And then uh, Alice's dad, uh, lost my place on my page, Nicholas Melee or Melee. I'm not sure how he pronounces his last name. Uh, he's the dad. He was also in part four. He was in I Am Sam with uh, Sean Penn and Michelle Pfeiffer. Uh, and he was also in one episode of Hardcastle and McCormick. <laughs> and of course, last but never, ever least, one of the Mount Rushmore of horror characters and actors, in my opinion, Robert England as Freddy Krueger. Of course, all previous nightmares, uh, V, the Mangler, Wishmaster, which I watched on Amazon Prime last night, and it still sucks. A lot of people like that movie. I just don't <laughs> don't care for it. But anyway, so that kind of rounds out the cast. Not really a big cast. The story's very self-contained. Uh, but anyway, Jesse, have you ever seen the fifth entry in the Nightmare on Elm Street series? This one I don't remember as much as the others. And uh, honestly, exactly the same here. This is honestly probably the one I've watched the least. Uh, watching it for the podcast, honestly, it's probably maybe only the third or fourth time I've seen it where I can honestly say I've seen all the other ones. Probably, at, even Freddy's Dead, probably at least four or five times. Definitely more. This is my least watched one. And watching it this time definitely reminded me why. Now, I am always, always excited for anything that involves Robert England as Freddy Krueger. Bar none. And to be, uh, let me give this, let me, let me say the good first. We'll do the good, the bad, and there, I guess there's some ugly, some of the visual effects. Uh, so mm-hmm. we'll do the good first. Robert England is great. The, the core story, which is basically about you know, the core idea of this story is the, the terror of teen pregnancy and what if that child happens to be Freddy being reborn? So you kind of got a good story, like a good, it's a good idea. This movie has a great idea for how to bring Freddy back. It's not a dog pissing fire on his bones. He's like coming back through the, you know, because Alice can like take people's powers from their dreams as in the previous one. So he's like coming back that way. So it's a good way for, you know, it's a different, it's a unique way for him to come back you can tie it with the theme of like teen pregnancy and the stigma of that and all that. Uh, so you, you kind of you get it's this, this the acorn of this film. The genesis of it is good, in my opinion. This could be great. Just hearing the idea of it. Oh, cool, interesting. But then we get to the pardon the pun. Well, it's not really a pun, but you know the execution of the film. And I think that's where this film just really fails. Uh, it's still, it's not bad you know it's it's better than some of the friday the 13th sequels it's better than some of the halloween sequels uh nightmare as a, as a whole as a series has some great continuity and continuity excuse me and uh you know there's really not so many choose your own adventures like halloween or bizarre time jumps like in friday uh, the 13th so you know it, it, it's it's carrying a narrative down you know along but it's just they they had it they had the idea this could have been really – I think it could have been really, really good. And actually, this could have been one of the scariest ones in the series because you had one pretty frightening. Two, I think, is really kind of scary because Freddy is terrifying in it. And he's still – but he's, he's that perfect – in part two, I think Freddy is the perfect blend of horror, like scary, but also you know, uh, the comical Freddy, that, the pop culture Freddy, I guess I should say. And this one would have been, should have been more of that kind of Freddy, more the scarier – but, you know, dark humor, Freddy. But it's not. Uh, England's great, but the, the script, the, you know, the one-liners aren't there like they have been. In, they were in the previous two. Because three and four, I mean, up this series. Especially three with Dream Warriors. And then four, you know, which just, those two were the ones that made Freddy an icon in the 80s. And this one really honestly fails 
in that regard. They did something different, which I'm not saying it, you know, that's the problem with it, watching it now. Because as a kid, you know, it was just, it was just about all of it. It was no matter what, it was about Freddy. And the whole cartoon kill and the motorcycle kill, when I was a kid, we're like, oh, that's cool. But as an adult watching, it's like, there's no imagination in this film. And I think that actually, that, that, there you go. There's my thesis. This film has got a good story, but no imagination. And that's where the Nightmare series has always thrived. Because, you know, it's always cool to, oh, Jason, this you know, person to death with us in their sleeping bag. That's crazy and terrifying and cool. He freezes this girl's face in liquid nitrogen and smashes it on the counter. That's disgusting, but damn, that's badass. You know, so it's like, and Nightmare was like that. Every, 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 mur- every mur- murder, it is a murder. Every murder in Nightmare is, been, is pretty horrifying. And up until this one, I'd say. You got the Roach Motel in four. You got the Puppeteering in three. Uh, the Wizard Master one isn't too great. But, you know, you got the, uh, the Drug Addiction one in three. You got him coming out of Jesse, uh, the character in the movie, part two. Uh, not a producer unless he has something to tell me. <laughs> but, uh you know, it, it, that's what's so great about the series, the imagination. Now, the, the effects that happen in, uh, of the kills in the movie are pretty great, but it's just like they, they had no creativity when it came to them. Because part of the, the, you know, a nightmare on Elm Street, like, it, they, you need to have the nightmare aspect relevant in there. And I think the previous ones did because, you know, the girl with the Roach Motel, you set up the fact that she hates bugs earlier in the film. So it's like that, I forget that, uh, that film term. You know, you show the gun in the first in the first 30 minutes. It's got to go off in the end of the film kind of thing. Uh, so you got that kind of going with that. So it plays into like her fear, which, you know, fears and uh, nightmares, your fear sometimes, et cetera, et cetera. This film does nothing with that. It just kind of like, hey, what are some cool ways to kill people? How about the motorcycle comes alive and makes him something from hardware, or the Terminator or something? OK, uh, how about this dude who draws comics gets sucked into the comic? That's very Freddy-esque, but the execution, again, pardon the pun, of it is just not done well because you have Super Freddy, and it looks – it's not even Robert England at that point. It's his voice, obviously, but it's just cheesy. Uh, you know, The whole time I see that scene, I'm thinking – because it's, <laughs> it's basically that music video in the movie for that sequence. And then, uh, honestly, you know what? I've I, I got movie props. The uh, the girl that uh, has the horrible, horrible family, and he basically stuff feeds her to death. That one's pretty good. That's the best one in the movie. Uh, pretty horrifying, pretty terrible. The other kills in the film. There's not. There's only like three people that die in this one. And when only one of them is actually good and kind of fits in the nightmare universe, and the other two are just like, this is doesn't feel like Freddy. This is, this is weird. It's tangentially nightmare esque. Really kind of hurts the film, and again, there's, there. I really, it really pains me. Like watching it now, because as a kid, I didn't care about the teen pregnancy thing, because I had no knowledge of that. I had no concept of that meaning something. You know what it means to people who that have that issue and that stigma in society these days. So there's really this one is just such such potential, and just falls flat for me. So honestly, it's probably it's right there. Where I, Freddy's Dead is is definitely a worse film, but it's so much more enjoyable to watch because Freddy is just he's in it more and he's being the Freddy that you want to see throughout the film. So you know, I did, uh, five is a better story for the series, but six is a more fun movie to watch. Put it to you that way. So 
I can't, you know, they're, they're both of these five and six would be at the bottom for me. Uh, well, I'll, of course, above the remake, bar none. Because uh, what do we say, Ben Wyatt? Remakes suck. <laughs> oh, no, no, Ben hates it when I get on a CG rampage. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, no CG in this film, which is great. Rear projection, overlays, that kind of thing, but no CG. Uh, the, the visual effects, well, we'll say that for the ugly. We said the good, pretty much kind of said the bad. So, yeah, the visual effects, they're not bad, but they honestly, maybe it's a cinematography. Maybe we can blame it on uh, Peter Levy, Levy because it's just the way the movie's like lit. Like the, the first scene when she's in the church and Freddie comes back looks awesome. Get the stained glass, you know, it's not too bright. It's it's very atmospheric. It's cool. But the deaths are so, the, the kill scenes are just, they're very kind of like, it's nighttime, but I, I can plainly tell that this is lit externally mm. <laughs> kind of thing. It doesn't have that natural feel that somebody like Dean Cundy does on Halloween or Jurassic Park or where night feels like night. doesn't really feel like night. Everything's so exceptionally well lit and so forth. The Freddy baby doesn't work for me. I mean, it's practical. I love that about it, but it it just it's a little they show it too much. It's like, you know, it's like that baby in American Sniper. <laughs> this one is <laughs> this was actually better than that one, but it's it just doesn't, you know, it's it's not lit and, you know, when you have these effects, the you know, a key to practical effects holding up in this day and age honestly is not so much the practical effects. I mean, it, of course, it's their job, uh, the special effects team, but also the director, the way that it was lit for the scene, you know, hiding seams or hiding an operator, all that kind of stuff uh, goes into it. And this puppet, they, you know, Stephen Hawk, Hopkins should have looked at it and thought, this puppet doesn't look too good. Maybe let's darken it a little bit. Let's lower the light. Let's only show it in profile. Let's do something a little different because it's pretty silly. <laughs> it's really mm-hmm. silly when they show it. It's like laughably silly. And that's the bad part about it for me. So, yeah. Is it a bad movie? No. Is it a mediocre? Is it a good movie? No. It's a mediocre movie. And in the Nightmare series, where, you know, up until this point, you had one, best one in the series, classic. Uh, two, under, you know, of course, two is the one that, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street 2 is the one that everybody points to as like, yeah, that's a movie that was bad in its time, and now it's considered, like, great. It was great at the time for the horror elements, what was brought into it, you know, at the time that you didn't talk about with the gay undertones, that was, you know, that was something that was, I guess, appreciated. Yeah. Or it was shunned at the time because it was the eighties. And now because of how ahead of the time it was, that's looked upon as a good thing, which it is. Uh, of course, it's still eighties cheese for that part. So it's not, it's not handled with as something that would be made today would be. Uh, and then you have three, which, you know, is it the best one? No. Is it my favorite one? Absolutely. Uh, four to me is right under three in terms of favorites because it's just the kills. The ki- I mean, that's why, you, and it's MTV Freddy. He's out there being, you know, saying his one liners, you know, hacking up these annoying teens in these incredibly imaginative ways. And then you have this one, which is like sort of a return to form, which I appreciate, but again, it just, it doesn't, you know, the, the it's not better than the sum of its parts. It's, it's good story. You got Robert England doing what he can. And also his makeup doesn't look as good as the previous ones. It looks a little more like masky mm. as opposed to, um, you know, organic, I guess would be a word for it. At least, especially in the beginning where he first comes back. Again, it's probably the way it's lit, to be honest with you. Because uh, that's a huge part of, you know, imagine if the thing was lit like this movie. It would look like shit. Uh, that's just my opinion, of course. I'm not a special effects person. I'm just, you know, 
It makes sense, you know, the mask itself could be a quicker way of applying it and Exactly. Yeah. And they do, you know, over time you always hear that like, oh, well, the first movie it took six hours to get in the makeup. By the time we got to the fifth one, it was on in, a, in, a, in an hour or whatever. And it looks so, worse. <laughs> it does. I mean, it literally, you know, it shows. It shows that yeah. it, it only took an hour to do it, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. But again, he's great in it. Lisa Wilcox is great in it. You know, your two leads are great. You got a good story. Everything else just. And the, oh, the kid actor that plays like her kid, Jacob, I think was his name. He's not good. <laughs> and I, well, I mean, uh, kid actors can absolutely sink a movie. You know, it's it's and it, it, I understand it's unfair to say that because they're children acting in a movie. But I mean, let's be honest. Like, you know, they I feel sorry for kids in movies because they really do have a big weight to carry more so than any of the other actors, I'd say, because, you know, it's is it an unfair stereotype? Absolutely. Because there's good kid actors uh, see the nightmares, uh, uh, new nightmare with uh Gage from Pets, Milo, whatever his name is, uh, Milo. Uh, you know, he was a great kid actor. Uh, I mean, the Olsen twins. I'm joking. Uh, you know, but there, there are fantastic children actors out there. However, a bad child actor can really affect a movie in a negative way because you know, especially when you're opposite. You know, certain actors. Uh, or I'm trying to think of a film, for example, uh, Jurassic Park, for example, who this kid in this movie actually was in. He was a kid that goes, looks like a six foot tall turkey or whatever mm-hmm. he says. Uh, you know, but the he there's a reason he was that character and not one of the main characters, because, you yeah. know, the kids in Jurassic Park, I think, were great. You know, they weren't they weren't, you know, annoyingly aggravating. Of course, I was around their age when Jurassic Park came out. So, I, you know, it was those they were like my you know, those those were my like entry level or my. uh you know, when you watch a movie when you're young, you re- my relation I – I can't think of the damn word I'm trying to say. But you get what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, that's the character I would have been. I would have been Tim. Like, yeah, dinosaurs are fucking cool, man. Like, oh, you you, you study dinosaurs? Holy shit. Oh, look, it's a T-Rex. You know, I'd be the one they, they got to pull away to, like, watching the dinosaur when it's running at you at that age. But anyway, I'm sure you all get what I'm saying. So I don't need to drone on, on, and on, and on about it because I tend to do that <laughs> a lot. <laughs> so anyway, that's kind of the feel about it. Uh, I mean, I distinctly remember, you know, Freddy Mania, Freddy ruled the 80s. And again, this is 89. We, we just had all the fours come out in 88. Halloween 4, Halloween uh, Nightmare 4, uh, not Friday 4, but a 7, I think was, or that was, was that 88 or 87? I can't remember. Uh, but this year you did. You had Jason Takes Manhattan come out this year. You had Halloween 5, which was a super rush sequel. We'll get to it eventually. Uh, you know, so you had another year of these icons. And this was, 89 was kind of the, in terms of the 80s, the last kind of hurrah for the, you know, uh, the new mon- new monsters. I don't know, you know, I don't, there's really 80s horror, I guess, 80s horror uh, slashers, I guess you could say. Because uh, you, know, you got the Universal Monsters, which includes all that. And you got Hammer, you know, kind of in terms of the epoch of horror movies. And that might not be the correct use of that word. I don't care. But you have, you know, Universal, uh, Hammer films in the 70s. Then you had the 80s, which was Freddie Michael. Uh, Jason, of course, Michael Halloween came out in the 70s. Yes, I know. So did Texas Chainsaw. But then you had two and, th- and you know, they had the sequels later on that blew up in the 80s. So that was they were the next wave of monsters. And of course, you know, they died out in the 90s uh, with because, um, of course, you had Freddy's Dead, which they like said, OK, we're done, which they weren't because <laughs> Wes Craven, God rest his soul and God bless him for coming back and making a final good one with New Nightmare, which is a lot of people's favorites, actually. Uh, definitely one of the better ones for sure. Uh, and then let's see, Jason, a Jason, uh, you had Jason goes to hell. So you had Freddy's dead. Jason goes to hell. And then you had, uh, 
you know, we waited till the late was it maybe even early two thousands, I think, for Freddy versus Jason. Because after that, we'd have nothing from Nightmare until Freddy versus Jason, and then Jason had Jason X, and that was it. And then Michael had the Curse. Then, oh, actually, Michael had a good run in the nineties uh, because he had Curse, and then H two O. I think Resurrection might have been early 2000s. We don't talk about that abomination. <laughs> and, of course, all the reboots and all that in the into the further into the 2000s and all that crap. So, you know, 89 was – these. this is the last, you know, at the time, this was the last – okay, here's our, here's, our, here's our last ones for the decade. And mm-hmm. of between Halloween 5, Friday 8, and Nightmare 5, uh, I don't have to go to Friday. Jason Takes Manhattan, I know it's stupid. But it, it's so much fun, I think. And it's got some good kills, and a lot of them. And Jason's scary as hell in that one in terms of his look. Uh, you know, it's, is it a good movie? No. This one has the best story of them. But if I, had to, if I had to pick one to just put on and watch, it'd be Friday 13th Part 8, for the terms of the 89 ones. Simply because this one is just, it's not enough for the series. So, anyway, let's get to some trivia. And instead of Trey just drowning on and on <laughs> like the Energizer fucking bunny. Uh, according to the director, uh, uh, they had tarantulas in here, if you, and it was it was I couldn't tell in every shot because of the lighting. So I guess I'm really kind of throwing <laughs> uh, Peter Levy under the bus here. Uh, but they had like the they had the sweater pattern on the tarantulas, and they had this big set uh, set up to where the wall would this wall would fall, and then the 200 tarantulas would like scatter out for the shot. Well, they uh, they shot it, and then it didn't kind of work right, so we, they got what they had for the shot. But they pretty much carried on shooting on another set because this film had a four-week turnaround. And they, he, the director said that he doesn't even know if anybody picked up the tarantulas. <laughs> so there are 200 tarantulas running around the set for the duration of this film, and who knows oh, what boy. happened to them. So, uh, but no reports of anybody getting bitten or anything like that, So at least that I could find. So I don't know. And I thought this was pretty interesting, too, because I was thinking about this when I was watching it. Uh, the character of Alice is one of only a f- very few characters in the three major slasher franchises who survive, not appear more than once, but actually survive uh, this, uh, the killer. And, of course, you got in Halloween, you got Laurie Stroke because she's in the new one, and she's been in, she's a queen, absolutely. But also in Halloween, Dr. Loomis appears in multiple ones. He survives. Oh, you know, you bring him back for four, even though he's dead in two. Uh, Marion Chambers from Halloween, she survives. Jamie Lloyd is in three of them, although the third one's a different actress, where he finally gets her. Uh, you got Sheriff Brackett and Tommy Doyle. And in Halloween, I mean, I'm sorry, Friday Thirteenth, you got Tommy Jarvis, who kind of the it's called the Jarvis trilogy, which we talked about on those episodes. So there's really not that many. A lot of time, like in the, for example, uh, I think it was actually a character named Alice in uh, the first Friday Thirteenth. You know, she kills Mrs. Voorhees and then immediately is taken out in the beginning of the second one, which is usually the stereotype or the the trope is a better word uh, that typically happens in those. But there is, you know, there's a handful of characters that go on more than you know survive the killer more than once so that's a uh that's kind of like i guess the hall of fame of final characters so to speak and there it is and most of them are in halloween <laughs> so yeah jason so michael isn't as thorough as jason and freddy is the is the issue now uh, the graduation sequence in the film was actually cut down a lot to speed up the pacing which was a good thing because there were definitely parts regard of this film that dragged uh a lot of the nightmares of alice just walking those could have been sped up. It was just like, okay, I know what you're doing, but you, the t- there's no tension here. There's nothing. There's, you know, I guess I'm about to blame the director on that one. Uh, but he did do Predator 2, so I can't be a little too harsh on him. Mm-hmm. There was a ton of scenes that they cut out. Like there was a scene where uh, where, where uh, Yvonne, Alice, and Greta rapped. So that's probably a good thing they cut mm-hmm. it out because 
two of these people are white. Uh, so we know how that goes. Uh, there was also one where Alice's dad gives her a camera and they talk about how she, oh, you want to go to Paris, take pictures with the camera, which is a good thing they took out because there's nothing that calls back later into the film of such a blatant piece of exposition. So, you know, again, do you remember what that's called, Jesse? It's, it, you know, if you show the gun, you gotta have, there's, there's a name for that and I cannot think of the name of it. Oh, and then show anyway. it later or, uh, sh- yeah. You know, the foreshadowing of like, I think that's what yeah, it is. Thomas, foreshadowing. <laughs> Isn't it? But it has, but it actually has a. There's a specific name for it because, like, uh, I just I can't remember what it is. I'll have to mention it next week or something because you know, that is a prevalent thing in horror movies. Uh, like, yes, I. Oh, what's that? Is that a grenade? Yes, it's my father's from from Vietnam. He snuck it back. I keep it as a joke. Don't pull the pin; it will blow up. Oh, don't worry, I won't do that. End of the movie. Eat this, motherfucker. Ping. Yeah, I think that's how it works. I think that is really just foreshadowing. <laughs> okay, I have to I have to redo my research. There, there is a name for it. I have to figure it out. I'll, it, I mean, it definitely is foreshadowing, but there's actually a name for like the specific trope of you know because you could foreshadow in a variety of ways, but the the trope of showing something in the beginning and then that exact thing coming back to the end, that exact thing has like a an industry name or something. I can't. I have to. I have to. I have, have to check back with y'all next episode. Yeah. But uh, anyway, I forgot where I was going now. But yeah, anyway, <laughs> the graduation scene, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Stephen Hawk- Hopkins was given just four weeks to shoot and only four weeks to edit it. It shows in terms of when you compare it to the quality of the other ones. Definitely, in my opinion, a step down. Uh, not bad, but, you know, you're, you're, there's a high pet. Excuse me. <clears throat> there's a high pedigree here that you're following. One through four are all solid, in my opinion. So I could watch one. I could do a marathon of those at any time and be completely on board and this is at this is the point where it's like the law of diminishing returns they had four great ones and then it's going to drop for two and then craven's going to come back and save it at the end right before the remake completely destroys the franchise so uh but anyway uh the thing is he made it so fast and it's so such a good job at least to the studio's heads that they said oh sure you did a good job on this movie you can direct predator too so they liked it so good for his career you did a good job on in that regard steven uh, when Alice wakes up from her nightmare in the asylum, one of the deranged uh, patients is Robert England, and they blatantly linger on his face. So it's like, yes, I know that's Robert England. It's not just like he's in the background. It's like, you know, let's let's pull back slowly. He's gonna walk in front of the camera and stare us down for about five fucking seconds. Mm-hmm. Too long. Subtlety. Subtlety is a lost art in a lot of film these days, in my opinion. Uh, and then there's a lot. You know, she wakes up from the nightmare and. It's like, oh, God, what a horrible nightmare. And then he pops up next to her for a jump scare. And when he pops up, he was actually supposed to say, no, he's not Freddy. He's like human Freddy. He's Robert England out of the makeup, one of the insane people. But he, he was supposed to pop up and say, there's no such thing as safe sex, which was thankfully excised from the film. <laughs> but uh, I, mean, I was like to talk about who, what, you know, what if. Uh, but Stephen King and Frank Miller, the Dark Knight Returns comic artist Arthur slash author were offered the the job of writing and directing this movie. They passed. Now, I think either of those choices for both writing and directing would have been great. Would have been a very different movie. And honestly, in my uh, ponderance of hypotheticals, would have been a better movie in my mind. But I think the best idea would have been for Stephen King to write it and Frank Miller to direct it because King is a writer Frank Miller is a writer and an artist, but Miller's style 
of art is definitely like I could see that translating to film for this series more so than Halloween or Friday, I think because of just his starkness with black uh, darkness and light, black and white uh, on the panel and such. So that would have been really interesting. But alas, it did not happen. The road not taken is M. Bison would say in the Street Fighter movie. <laughs> uh, the, I, the genesis from this film actually came from the executive, an executive producer, Sarah Reacher's uh, pitch, because she was pregnant at the time, and she thought it would be terrifying if Freddy had to claw his way out of my belly while I'm pregnant. So that's kind of how it came around. And uh, she actually kind of pitched it before Nightmare 5 for Nightmare 4. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, uh, 3, excuse me, not 4. And the, pro- the other producers were like, nah, we're not going to do that. And then five comes along like, hey, remember that idea you had about Freddie having a baby? We want to do that one now. We're all out of ideas. That's how- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're out of ideas, so we need that one. We're taking yours. Uh, the laughter heard at the end, and uh, my wife Autumn immediately picked it up. Uh, it's actually the clip of Vincent Price laughing, the same laugh from the end of Thriller. Uh, that was not put in intentionally. That was actually just – that was put in intentionally for the song that plays – not for the end of the film, if that makes sense. Uh, it's a The track is Cool Modi song, Let's Go, which is played during the credits. And fun fact, that is actually a diss track to LL Cool J, who would go on to play in the Halloween franchise. So, uh, you know, lots of beef between these rappers yeah. in the 80s. Uh, Eric Singer, uh, if you know that name, congratulations, because you know your music. But he was a drummer for Alice Cooper, Black Sabbath, Badlands, and he was... Uh, Actually, I think he might have passed away. Somebody from like one of the he was in Kiss though. He was uh, he took over for Peter Chris for a while there. I think one of the members of Kiss, like the extra, not the original four. But I think one of like the replacements actually passed away recently. I'm not sure if it was him or not. But anyway, the camera pans past like this the show playing, and uh, they're talking about a band and the band on screen. He's one of the members in the band, and also Ted Nugent, mm-hmm. right wing gun toting crazy ass motherfucker. Ted Nugent is in this movie. Thankfully, it's just a little literal cameo because it just pans by him. Gary so. Corbett died this year. Oh, okay. I knew for it was like four years. Gotcha. I knew so. I knew one of the extended members passed away, but mm-hmm. could not remember who. So good job, Eric Singer, not being the person who I thought was dead. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this film actually opened at number three for the week, and I did not go and see what else opened that day to know what beat it. Uh, my mistake. Uh, but you know, normally these films open at number one, so I'm willing to bet this is probably the first one that opened that did not top the the weekend when it opened, and it pretty much disappeared really quickly. Uh, which again, eight mil, eight point one million uh, domestic gross worldwide, though you know, three times, four times its budget, three times its domestic gross. So it was big hit everywhere else, but here, or more of a hit everywhere, but here I should say. And this is actually, I thought this was interesting because if you know the Nightmare on Elm Street history. Behind the camera, the genesis of it, and again, there's a great like four, five-hour documentary called Never Sleep Again that I highly, highly recommend to watch. Uh, but Rachel uh, Talay or Talaley, I think it's Talay. Yeah, it must be Talaley. Uh, she worked on all the previous ones, and she always wanted to direct. And she would get that opportunity with Six, Freddy's Dead. So she got, she finally got to direct one, but it was arguably in most people's minds the worst one. Uh, though she, she had anything to do with this one. Uh, but she would, like, like I said, she would go on to direct uh, Freddie's Dead. However, I think if you're in a relationship in high school and you're the male and your girlfriend is pregnant, of course you're involved in that. But I mean, the true burden is on the female in this situation. Uh, and she probably would have been a really good choice to direct this one. And it probably would have been a hell of a lot better than how it turned out. So it's really a shame she didn't get to do this one, have a female director with a female's hand on a feminine issue 
in this franchise probably would have you know been a lot better than the end product that we had uh as far as that goes so but again we don't fucking know i like to think so uh now some good news in terms of the uh the kills in the film they were all cut down significantly to avoid an x rating which of course by today's standards they wouldn't have had to do that but there's some it, you know greta's is pretty horrific with her face expanding it's it's totally gross it's reminiscent or it reminds me of seven gluttony that body dead body in seven uh but uh dan's kill on the motorcycle was much longer and much much more gory which definitely would have helped it because it was just so like this is freddy's like a machine it's like it was like terminator it's more something from terminator than it, almost than it was from a, a, a nightmare on elm street movie so uh but yeah there was a lot cut down however all this stuff, uh, all the all the extended death scenes can be viewed unedited in the original unrated VHS release. So when Arrow Video or Severn Films, whoever has the rights to do a box set for Nightmare, like they've uh, recently did the Halloween one a couple years, uh, several years ago, actually. Friday 13th was last year. Nightmare's due for an upgraded Blu-ray set. So hopefully the new set will have all of that in it uh, on Blu-ray so we can... You know, check them out because I mean, raise your hand if you got a VCR still. Oh, I do. Oh, good. Right next to your record player, you fucking hippie. Shut the fuck up. Anyway, not picking on you if you like records. I'm just More making VHS. a joke. <laughs> so, yeah, don't get mad at me. Uh, but anyway, uh, this and also this one was heavily referenced in the 2017 It Chapter One. It was on the marquee that it was playing, and there were a couple of visual uh, things that kind of go up like Beverly shoves something in Pennywise's mouth was reminiscent of them shoving the, the strainer thing in Freddy's mouth in this one. That kind of crap. You know, just very loose homages. I won't even call it that. You know, having it on the marquee is enough. Which honestly, why would you have this one? <laughs> why did you put the five up? Why don't you put the three or something else? You know, three would have been more appropriate because you got kids fighting a monster. In this one, it's just like, I'm pregnant and my friends are dying and I'm not doing anything about it. Again, a failure of the script, a failure of the, the story that could have been really great. Uh, all that taken into consideration, long long way coming back to where we are today with the score. I would give this one a five. It's definitely, like I said, if I had to watch, somebody said, oh, you have to watch every Nightmare on Elm Street movie right now. I do one through four. Actually, honestly, I would probably watch them in order, to be honest with you. But if I had to rank them, this would be right there. You know, the the bottom three, the bottom was obviously the remake. And then between Freddy's Dead and this one, it depends on my mood, which one I'd rather watch first. Uh, but the first four and New Nightmare, love them, love them, love them. Really can't say too much bad about any of them, except how two was handled behind the scenes. But that's a story that we covered previously on the podcast. So go check out that episode. And again, in the real world, this one released August 11th, 1989, the day before. United States Army General Colin Powell became the first African-American chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff after being nominated by President Bush Sr. Not my favorite Bush mm-hmm. at all. But, uh, yeah, so I'm, I was a fan. Of, I'm a fan of Colin Powell. I think he did a lot of well, – he had a good head on his shoulder, so to speak. He uh, you know, stood up to the president several times, some stuff. So a lot of respect for Colin Powell. Uh, back to the future this week. Jesse, seen anything, played anything, done anything? Nope. I pretty much locked myself in a box and – didn't see light of day. <laughs> we got a lot of editing and stuff to do. I assume. Yeah, like, yeah, it's a busy week. A lot of projects. That. Yeah, a lot of work. Uh, last night I saw Free Guy with Ryan Reynolds. Oh boy! And uh, I, uh, it, it's worth seeing. I laughed a lot, but uh, there's, there's the it's wor- 
they do this thing. No, it's by the same director. I think no, not I'm sorry, not the same director, same screenwriter because Spielberg didn't do this film. But it's by the uh, same writer as the guy who adapted Ready Player One. Mm. So it does a great job of because again, I've been playing video games since the Atari. So not that's not bragging because there's there's no reason to brag that you're old people. Okay, when somebody says that, not, I'm not. Well, a lot of people take think that yeah, I've been playing this long. Well, that just means you're fucking old, man. I'm just saying I've been playing video games a long time. You know, I still don't quite get the whole streaming thing. Why people want to watch somebody play a game as opposed to watching a movie or something like that for for a long period of time. I watch the streams. If like, oh, well, I'm interested in this game. Let me watch a stream to see if I'm interested in it. Again, that's just me. That's mm-hmm. just me. Uh, but this movie is definitely written, was definitely done by somebody who plays video games. So there's a lot of stuff in there. Like the Halo Warthog makes an appearance. Uh, the background, I love what I love about this film, much like Top Secret last week, is there's a lot of background stuff. You know, Ryan Reynolds is talking to, to the main character. I forget her real name. Uh, Some with an M in the movie. Millie, I think, in the movie. Jody. Uh, jo- uh, Jody? Yeah, yeah, Jody Comer, Comer. Who's going to be in the new Ridley Scott movie, which looks amazing. So fingers crossed for that. But I'm set up for disappointment because Ridley Scott. You know, doesn't really make good movies anymore, no. in my opinion. But anyway, Free Guy, Ryan Reynolds is great. Like, perfect, perfect casting for this role. Uh, but the stuff in the background is hilarious. It's fantastic. Like, you'll see, like, because the people with sunglasses in the in the game world are human avatars. It's basically GTA Online is what it is mm-hmm. in the game. But, like, completely film version and over the top. And also, like, every bit, like, when he puts on the glasses, it's like you're in the HUD. You, so you see what a player sees. And first person, uh, but every building has a sign on it that's glowing that says "bank." You know, so it's it's a bit much. However, uh, like, but you see people in the background like running in place and like jumping, like like you could tell this person is learning the controls. You know, there, there's little <laughs> genius stuff like that hidden in the movie that are that are great. Overall, I'd give it an eight out of ten. I really enjoyed it. However, they do this thing like they did it, and they do it in it's a it's a it's a typical thing they do in movies. But you know, he's he's the free he's an AI that becomes alive, and the real world story is stupid. I hate it. All the in game, all the game when they're in the game is hilarious and so much fun and great. Ryan Reynolds truly shines in this. I think he does a better job in this than as Deadpool. Uh, he he's such a good job of that that naive character and then all of a sudden becoming a badass but not losing that night like that night naivete that he has so he it's per, he's perfectly balanced in terms of an actor for this role and he does a great job highest praise to him uh but my complaint is is when the real world stuff is it's i don't know uh jody cormer is i based on her history on omni b she's a she does a lot of, she, she's in that show with uh sandra O. Uh, she's a very serious actor, very you know, you know, dramatic actor, very good actor. I'm not saying she's bad, but I think they should have gotten somebody who's a little more comedic, or can do comedy and drama a little better. Comedy's not kind of her strong suit, I'd say. Again, just my opinion. Like, uh, not that I want to see Margot Robbie making out with Ryan Reynolds, but you know, somebody like of that, or you know, somebody who who does a good job of being really has some really great dramatic roles, but also some good fun roles. Uh, Jodie Cormer, I haven't seen enough of her to know everything I see on IMDb that I've seen her in is dramatic. Uh, so I think that you know, there's there's really not a he need there's not chemistry there as it should be in the real world part in the game part where she's acting like a video game avatar. There is, but in the real world part where it's like because again it's and also it's a two hour long movie. They definitely could have cut ten minutes out. Mainly the real world stuff would have been much better. 
Uh, Steve from Stranger Things is in it. He's great. But again, like the dramatic parts of this movie are just so like, oh, God, get back to the game. Don't care about the real world. I care about the game. Everything that happens in the game in the end is amazing. The end of this movie, the last maybe 10 minutes, aside from the dramatic, overdramatic real world stuff, but the end game stuff, there are three moments that just made me literally like spit take. It was so funny. Totally worth watching. Even if you don't like the movie, if you're like, watch it, this is dumb. Watch it for the end. There's some great, there's three things that happened in the end that just made a huge ass smile on my face. So take that for what you will. Uh, but anyway, the point, I kind of got, I kind of got lost in my <laughs> talking like <laughs> I usually do. But uh, the thing I really, that really, ha- you know, the real world stuff I hate, but the, the, the thing, I, the trope I was talking about earlier that I never came around to, sorry about that, everybody, is that they cut to who I, I know Ninja because I've seen him. I don't, I don't know. I never watched his stream, but because I, you know, I follow game sites on Facebook and other things, I know who this kid is. I know that he's got more money than I'll ever fucking make for playing fucking Fortnite, man. Of all fucking games. Anyway, uh, so they cut like they cut to streamers like talking like, "Who is Blue Shirt guy? Wow, so cool. What is he doing? He's not attacking NPCs. He's helping them. They're they're exposition dumps to date the film, and they didn't need it." So it, mm. it, every time they show a streamer who, again, I'm sure younger kids are like, oh, shit, it's Elite User 337. Damn, he's badass. He's in the movie. All that kind of, I'm sure that's great for uh, people not in my demographic. Under, I understand why. But I think, you know, you want to, you know, the film, I said the film was too long. Cut out all the streamers talking. Trim a little bit of the real world stuff. And you've got a nice, compact, super nonstop funny film. And it's, you know, the, the movie's good. It's good. The oh god, I don't want to spoil stuff, but the end stuff, the overdramatic real world stuff, made me want to shoot myself. <laughs> but every again, everything that happens in the game world in this movie is fucking great. I promise. Slave through the real world stuff for the game stuff. It's good. You'll enjoy it. Uh, so that's the that's the only thing new that I've seen this week. Uh, so yeah, that's the Back to the Future segment. Email. Nice. Do we have an email? Oh, we did. Hold on one second. Let me uh, it out because I'm mm. stupid. But uh, oops! Wait, that's not why is. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Didn't think you needed it. Well, I did. <laughs> but uh, this one's from Fatty Sai, and it says hello. So hello, Fatty Sai. But this is a shit. Sorry for dead air. <laughs> anyway, oh yeah, here's the, here it is from Patricia Horhoho. Hello, dear. How are you doing today? Please get back to me immediately when you get my message. Didn't get your message, Pat Patricia. So uh, sorry about that. It sounds the like other a spam email we got message. was <laughs> that that's like... the joke, Jesse. <laughs> that's the joke. <laughs> I had one pulled up that was funnier. I just wanted like, to make that was... sure that it, yeah, because the name. Yeah. If you would have said the Nigerian prince or something, that would have been. I think I did that obvious. one before, so I wanted to do a read a real one. I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. you. <laughs> that was just. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, yeah. Uh, that's kind of does it for this week. We're kicking off Halloween horror with uh, Freddy, so it's a good start uh, thematically, not movie-wise. <laughs> but uh, next week, let me pull up my thing because I think next week is uh, next film. Yeah, is uh, we're gonna go with some Wes Craven Amish horror with Deadly Blessing with uh, Sharon mm. Stone and Ernest Borgnine in a horror movie directed by Wes Craven. Uh, so uh, I'm not sure. You know what? I, I need to do a better job. I should have found out if this was streaming anywhere. It's an older film, but it's called Deadly Blessing, Wes Craven. Uh, so check it out Deadly in terms of next Blessing. week. Uh, I'll be I'll be honest with you. It's not one of my favorite Wes Craven films. Uh, but nevertheless, 
We're doing Craven this month. We're going to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly when it comes to Wes Craven. It's Halloween season, everybody. Get hyped. Get excited. Watch fucking horror movies. Uh, and, you know, let us know what you think. Made any mistakes? Reach out to us. 80sRevisited at gmail.com on Facebook, 80sRevisitedPodcast. On Instagram, 8080S underscore Revisited. And don't forget to check out our good friends, uh, John, with the Cajun Toy Review. And he's also relaunching a YouTube channel. Uh, so, you know, follow him on, uh, I'm not sure, John, I'm sorry, I don't have all your following stuff in my brain. But uh, search mm-hmm. now versus nostalgia on YouTube, uh, Cajun Toy Review on YouTube. And uh, I talked to him off camera and all that stuff, or off mic, I should say. And he's coming out with some new podcast too. So we'll be hearing John's Lafayette X accent very soon. Nice. Uh, and also, I always have to mention our good friend, Doom Slayer from Tasmania, Ben Wyatt down in Tasmania, Doom. rocking in the ring, rocking in the, uh, the BAMcast and all that. So give them a like, give them a listen, support TCW, support local wrestling, wherever you're at. Those guys are out there, guys and girls, excuse me, are out there, you know, putting their bodies on the line for, you know, same thing we're doing here, you know, in terms of what I mean by that. Is, I'm not saying it's the same thing. <laughs> it's exactly but, you know, the same. The, you know, we're not making a living off. We do this for fun. We do this so I can talk to Jesse, so I can get stuff out of my head, so I can talk to people out there and people that listen to it might have a little something fun to listen to for a little bit and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, so it's a, it's a thankless job sometimes, mm. but that's not why we do it. So same thing with, you know, uh, independent wrestling and all that. Those guys and girls are out there putting their bodies on the line because they want to do it and they enjoy doing it. So they deserve support. And that goes for anything. Uh, anybody that does that, you know, local artists, local musicians, all that. Everybody needs your support, you know, support local, because they're the ones that need it. You know, Lars Ulrich doesn't need my fucking money. So that's why I've never <laughs> bought a Metallica album since uh, Reload. Oh, no, Garage Inc., sorry. Yeah, so fuck you, Lars Ulrich. <laughs> anyway, the most uncool thing a rock star ever did was all that bullshit. Yeah. Uh, that's just my opinion. But anyway, <laughs> stay safe. If you see, you know, you know, stay awake. Uh, don't go in the woods. And stay away from people in white masks. So there's a send off for Halloween Horror Month. So until <laughs> next time, I hopefully will be alive and remain Trey Harris. Jesse Sedgley. Cowabunga, bitch. Ready, calm down. Cowabunga, everybody. Stay safe. more on facebook.com slash awesome pods and follow us on twitter at awesome pods 